Well, we can turn back to our reading in First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 1 to 8 this morning. And what we're looking at here is Paul describing what his motivation is in doing what he is doing in coming to them with the gospel. Paul is a man who was changed by the Lord from one who persecuted Christians, who was out breathing out murderous threats, as it says in the scriptures, uh, bringing them in chains, beating them, putting them to death in the past, but who was brought by the Lord to see the glory of the Lord and who came to serve the Lord. In that psalm we just sung, Psalm 84, in verse Uh, Middle of verse 4, verse 5 there. Blessed is the man whose strength thou art, in whose heart are thy ways. Well, Paul is one who knew that for himself. He was strengthened by God, and God's ways was very much in his heart. And he speaks here to the Thessalonians. He speaks about uh, the heart as well as we'll see as we go through here, because the Lord searches the heart and that's still true for ourselves today the lord searches your heart he searches my heart and he knows exactly what is in our hearts what desires we might have in our hearts what motivations we might have in our hearts and as we see paul's heart for the church at thessalonica here we see it's a heart that is is motivated in a pure way motivated for the gospel, motivated against the lies that are being taught to the people, and motivated in a love for them. That's the three things we're going to look at together this morning, these motivations that Paul had. And as we do, we want to ask ourselves, what's our motivation? What is our motivation in life? What makes us keep going in life? Because our lives can be full of, of routines, full of the things that we do on a daily basis. But how often do you stop and ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the reason behind it? Sometimes we can maybe feel like our lives are just on automatic pilot or, or cruise control. We, we set a switch and we just keep going in a certain direction, just doing the same things day in, day out. And you can think about some of the things that you've either done or are doing on a daily basis. You think about school days, going to school. It was maybe just, or it is maybe just a a routine that's gone through. You have to do it, so you do it. You just go about it, but do you ever... do you ever ask yourself, why? I'm sure you did many a time. What's the point in school? And then you maybe go into work life. And you may be asking yourselves the same question. You may be going through work and asking yourself, well, what's the purpose in this? It just seems like every day is, is the same thing over and over again. Is, is there a purpose to what I'm doing? Even the things maybe you do outside of work, things that you've got maybe more control over yourself. You maybe find yourself looking after sheep 
And you're wondering to yourself, why am I doing it? What's the purpose in this? And yet every day you've got to go out and tend to them. And whatever it's doing, we can be doing things in the house. We can be cooking food. We can be redecorating the house. The list can go on and on of things that are just routines in our lives. Things that keep occurring, that we keep doing. And we ask ourselves, or do we ask ourselves, why? What's the purpose in it all? But into that mix we bring two coming to church and again when we look at this is there a purpose is it more just because we feel we have to there's a sense of duty or or is it that we want to this is something that is a real desire a real motivation for us that we have a real motivation behind in it And what can make the difference in all of these situations? Whether we're thinking of our day-to-day lives or whether we're thinking of coming to worship God, what makes the difference? What changes it just from a sense of duty that we have to, to a sense of desire and longing? Well, it's a love for what we're doing and why. A love for what we're doing and why we're doing it. To see a purpose in it. To see something that that motivates us on a daily basis. And especially for us when it comes to worship. When it comes to to looking at the Lord, worshipping him and loving his cause. What is it that makes a difference? It's if we love the Lord. And if it's our longing to worship him and praise him. There's so many parts in the Bible that you can go to. And you see what happens when a love for God grows cold. For example, when you turn to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. You find there are people who had God on their lips. But not in their hearts. And they were very much just going through the motions of worship. But wanting to live for themselves more so. They were doing things out of duty. We'll give God the bare minimum. And that's what duty does. There's no joy in it. There's no true worship in it. It's just going through the motions. And that's why Malachi was writing to the people then to change them, to bring their hearts from being that way to seeing God worthy of all our worship. And when duty turns to devotion, it leads to us giving out all to the Lord. Not half-hearted worship, but full-blown worship, 100% worship. Our hearts are in his cause not just for the time we're gathered for worship, but as we're, we're living in our homes and in our communities, our hearts are for him. It's not just we're doing things out of duty, but devotion to the Lord at all times. And that's what we see in chapter 2 of this letter that Paul writes. He's writing to encourage the people. People who have false teachers around them. People who are suffering persecution all around them but he's writing to them to encourage them in the lord 
and to live as examples to others around them as well. And, and he does so by showing his own motivations. He lays his heart out before them and he tells them what his own motivations are, what, what keeps him going in the hope that that's what would drive them on as well. And from verse 1 to 8, we see three motivations that Paul has. Three things that really make him get up in the morning and want to go out and tell others the gospel, the good news. And these three motivations, as we've said, the first one is the gospel. The second one is the lies that are being spoken around. And the third one is the love that he has for them. And these are three things that could, could and should motivate us as a people as well. To love the Lord with, with all our hearts. So the first thing we want to see is, the first motivation is, is the gospel itself. And you see that is at the beginning of chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You see there a little of what's going on in Paul's life. And how do you, how do you picture Paul and Silvanus, had, or Silas as he also known, Paul and Silas had come to, to Thessalonica. They had arrived in this place, but how do you picture them arriving? When you read through the book of Acts in chapter 16 and 17, you see these very events described in more detail there as to what Paul had done when he went on his missionary journeys, going through Philippi, Macedonia, on to Thessalonica. The Lord was guiding him in that way. And we can often speak maybe of Paul and Silas as, as church planters of their time. But when we use the word church planter, what kind of image does that bring to your mind today? When you think of people who are planting churches in their own denomination in different parts of the country, perhaps you've got an image of what it means to be a, a church planter, that maybe it's an easy option for ministry. Maybe you've got an image of what a church planter looks like, meeting up in coffee shops with people, always walking around maybe with an iPad under their arm, thinking that it's, it's an easy choice for ministry. Well, there's no easy choice in ministry. Whatever ministry you're involved in, it is hard work. And church planting is certainly not an easy option. One church planter I know, he had to move house four times in the first three years of church planting. Week by week, they weren't always sure where would they be meeting for that Sunday service. They would have to be hiding out a hall or a school, but there was no guarantee that they would get it for any given Sunday. So maybe on a Friday, they still weren't sure where they would be meeting. It's not like a church and a man set up like here and in other places that we're so familiar with. It's a very different setup, a very different system. There's a lot of uncertainty in it. But behind it all is a devotion and a motivation, as there should be in every ministry. It's all about sharing the gospel. 
And it wasn't easy for Paul and Silas, that's for sure. When we're reading the scriptures, do we actually read them and and imagine what was it really like? Was it easy for them? Well, it wasn't easy for Paul and Silas. They speak here about much conflict, as it says at the end of verse 2 there. We preach the gospel in the midst of much conflict. What kind of conflict were they in? Well, how did Paul and Silas arrive in Thessalonica? Battered, bloodied and bruised. That's how they arrived. You see it in verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, they still went and preached the gospel. But what did they suffer at Philippi? Well, if you go back to the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 20, and you read those verses, you see exactly what they suffered in Philippi. It says there, And when they had brought them to the magistrates of Paul and Silas, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. They suffered much conflict. They were beaten with rods by large crowds. And yet they still proclaimed the gospel. That's what's motivating them. And this was just days before they arrived in Thessalonica. The bruises, the marks would still be very clear on them. And yet the love they had for the Lord and his message was clear. And for the people. This is what they needed to hear. We see that in in verse 4. They had been entrusted with this gospel. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, God had this work for them to do. And declaring it, they were convinced of it themselves first and foremost. Their motivation was the gospel that they loved and the Lord that they loved. The Lord that had done all for them. The Lord who suffered shame and who was beaten and afflicted on the cross for them and for all his people. Their greatest desire was to make the Lord known. And Paul gives another great illustration of what motivates him in the gospel and when he's writing to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 14 he says, The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded or we are convinced of this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. They're no longer living for themselves. They're living for Christ. Can we say that of ourselves? Would we be willing 
to go through this suffering ourselves. Are we? When we see the conflicts that arise, not so much in our midst just now, the physical conflicts, but the spiritual battles that are going on, the warfare that's raging against us and against the gospel, trying to silence it in so many ways and so many places, are we willing to bear the wounds for the gospel? Does the gospel motivate us in this way where if we come up against a conflict, we shy back or do we keep going and press on because we love the Lord? The gospel they proclaimed in the midst of much conflict is the same gospel that we have to proclaim today and to hear today. It's there for us. And that's what they saw the people needed to hear. That's what we need to hear ourselves as well and to be bold for the gospel. You wonder how Paul might have reflected back in his own life. Remember, Paul was there when Stephen was stoned in the book of Acts. He saw, he watched on as he saw Stephen stoned to death and how he saw Stephen proclaiming that he saw his Lord. And, and Paul was in the midst of this conflict against Christians in his life. Breathing out murderous threats, beating Christians, putting them to death. And you wonder if he reflects and thought, how could they suffer in the midst of everything that was happening and not, not turn away from this Lord? Well, now he knows himself. Because he knows the Lord himself and is convinced of the Lord himself. That there's no turning away from him. Even in the midst of conflict, he knows he knows he is the way of life. And he has God with him. When you read through these 16 verses, how often does the word God stand out on these pages? You see, just cast your eyes over these verses and, and God just comes off the page there so often because that's his focus. We are witnesses to God. The gospel is God. We are suffering for God. It's all for God's sake. And that's what he knows, that God is with him. He loved the gospel. He loved God and he knew God with him. And that should be our motivation first and foremost too. The gospel of God, the good news of God, that there is salvation in Christ Jesus and no other. Is that what we live our life for? Is that the first thing that we have to motivate us in life on a daily basis? To know the love of God for us and to know how to love him in return. So the gospel motivates. The second thing we see here is the lies that are around that motivate him as well. In verse 3 it says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. And the reason he's saying this is because there were those around as well. Paul and Silas, they weren't the only missionaries in town at this time. There were others who were coming with their own form of gospel, with their own teaching to give. 
But it was all based on lies. So many came with selfish motives. They wanted to make money. They were greedy for gain. There was no suffering for them in telling lies and telling the people what they wanted to hear. Just as the same in the Old Testament when you see the prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and all the prophets you read of there. They came to speak the word of God and they were rejected. They were beaten. They were put to death. Why? For telling the truth. But there were other prophets who got on well, who flourished materially in so many ways. Why? Because they avoided the truth and just told the people what they wanted them to hear. What they wanted to hear themselves. They tickled their ears. They avoided the truth that they had sinned against God and that God would bring judgment on them. Shun away from that. And the same thing's happening here in Thessalonica. There are those who are coming and preaching a gospel that's no word of truth. And they're only there for gain. And so Paul and Silas, they come motivated by God to share the gospel, the word of truth, and they're suffering for it. And you say, well, why keep going? Well, because they know the people needed to hear the truth. They needed to hear the gospel. And, and when you look through what you see in these verses as to the difference between Paul and Silas and those who were coming, their motivations were, were totally different. Error or impurity is meant, mentioned in verse 3 or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. So there's all these motives that the false teachers had. They came to please man. They came with words of flattery. They came with greed. They came seeking their own glory. And you say to yourself, well, they were so far wrong. And can you think of anyone who, who that might look like today? Maybe immediately our thoughts go to what we call um, the false teachers that we see on the television. Those who, who preach a gospel that's not the true gospel and their motives is very much greed. The prosperity teachers that you see so often on television channels. Yes, they'll use God's word in there, but the motives behind it is, is their own gain and their own lifestyle. To please man rather than God. To be praised by men for greed, for flattery, for all of these things. And it challenges the people there in Paul's day in Thessalonica. What, what's your motivation in living and telling the truth? Are you wanting to be approved by man? Are you wanting to get on well in life and gain much wealth? Are you wanting uh, to, to seek glory from people? Is that your motivation? Well, it shouldn't be when it's not the true gospel that you're sharing. 
And we might say and accuse others of having these wrong motives. But remember what Paul says there in verse 4 at the end of it. God tests our hearts. And think to yourself, in this list of motivations that the false teachers might have had, how many of them impacted your own heart in this week? How many times did you do something to be approved by man? How many times did you do something to get words of flattery? How many times did you do something out of greed? How many times did you do something seeking glory from people? Isn't it so easily come into our own hearts? We can all, I'm sure, look at points in our lives where we didn't say what we should have or we didn't do what we should have because what we wanted was praise from others, flattery from others, glory from others, or our hearts were greedy for gain and we didn't do right. So it's not just a case of looking and pointing the fingers elsewhere in this. It's looking and examining our own hearts and asking, are we caught up in the world of lies? That so easily surrounds us. Are we being bought into a world that tells us a false truth? And we'd rather be praised by man than God. It may work for a time, but it won't work eternally. Because God, as we see here, God who tests our hearts. God who knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. In Isaiah chapter 29, as another passage that shows a people far from God, there Isaiah speaks about the people, how they're worshipping with their mouths and their lips, but what he says is, but their heart is far from God. They're going through the motions. They're listening to the lies of this world. Mouth and lips may sing praise to God, but what when the heart is so far from God? God sees the heart. And so it is for ourselves today. We ask that question. What motivates us in the midst of a world that's full of lies? And seeking to shun the truth of God more and more. Will we go the way of lies and just seek approval of man, to please man, the glory of man, or greed for ourselves? Or will we be like Paul and Silas and the church at Thessalonica, the people of God there, as he's teaching them there? And you see it throughout his letter. They were a people who were trusting fully in God who are generous to the Lord's cause, who are doing everything for the glory of God. Is that how we would be? We see a people all around us who are perishing because of lies. Well, Paul is saying we are to be examples against that. 
to show that we will not stand for the lies of this world or the glory of this world but the glory of God well thirdly and finally we see here that love motivates Paul here he lives out the gospel in their midst here and you see that at the end of this chapter uh, these verses in verse 7 and 8 but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children and you, you again you get this image here as well just like at the image of the start where they've been shamefully treated at philippi they've been beaten and bloodied there but as they come into Thessalonica, they, they haven't got this bitterness in their heart. They've still got this love for God. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, a mother who would do anything to protect her children. It would become between a child and any danger that they might suffer. That is the kind of love that Paul and Silas had for the people here. Why? So that they would share the gospel. Because it had become very dear to us, as it says at the end of verse 8. The gospel was precious and the people were precious. He had a love for them. And it's a, a remarkable love that in the midst of all the suffering that he's had, that his desire is the gospel and the salvation of souls. And there was a story told of a minister who, who felt God's call on his ministry, to, to ministry. While he was a successful businessman, he was getting on well in life, he was making a fortune in life. But God worked in his heart and called him to ministry. And he began to study Bible courses at night. And eventually he gained a degree in theology but while he had started his studies he, he told his boss that he was going to leave the business he was in and go into the work of a pastor to be a pastor in a rural church but his boss and his boss above him they didn't believe that he would turn his back on the money that he was making knowing that there was little money to be made as a pastor in a small congregation but the time was going on and still he was saying to them, look, I'm going to leave. Once I'm done, I'm going to go into ministry and I'm going to leave. So the, the main boss said to the one who was the head of this man who was going in for the ministry, he said, offer him £50,000 raise and see if he'll stay in the business then. And if he takes it, fire him on the spot. He was testing the motives of that man the man said I'm not taking any money God has called me to ministry and that is what I am going to do the temptation could have been to say well that's a lot of money to miss out on maybe I should just stay but if the Lord had called he was to go and he did and God willing in a short time, hopefully, when you may see another induction taking place here of a minister, you'll hear a question asked of the minister as he takes his vows. 
And one of the questions says this, are not seal for the honour of God, love to Jesus Christ, and desire of saving souls, your great motives and chief inducements to enter into the function of the holy ministry, and not worldly designs and interests? It's a question asked of every minister before he takes a charge. But it's a question that could be asked of every believer. Are not sealed for the honour of God, love to Jesus Christ, and desire for sailing, saving souls, your great motives and chief inducements as a member of this congregation? Is that what motivates you? Is that what keeps you going? Is that what makes you look to God who is able to do these things? Paul and Silas, they suffered much. In Philippi, and as they came into Thessalonica, they were persecuted, they were beaten. But their motivation was the gospel and the salvation of souls. And as a people, what is it that motivates you? In life, is the Lord motivating you in all that you do? And in church, in worship, are you doing things just out of a sense of duty? Or is it a devotion? A devotion to the Lord. To the Lord who has given all for you. That you might have all in him. What's your motivation? What's my motivation? Is it not honour of God? Love to Jesus Christ? And a desire of saving souls. Not for the glory of man or for the praise of man. But for the glory of God who tests our hearts. He knows your motives. And if your motives are wrong. If my motives are wrong. May he change our motives. To be more for his glory and for his good. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that searches our hearts and souls and reminds us, Lord, that what is maybe within our hearts that we know of ourselves, you already know. But it reminds us too, Lord, of the great grace that you have shown to your people, the love of Christ that you gave to us, that we might know him and life through him. And we pray, Lord, that you will make our hearts into the hearts that are warm for you, hearts that love you and seek to serve you with all the motivation for your glory, for the gospel to be shared and spread, for the lies that surround us to be quenched, and that is done with a love for you and for one another. And we ask all these things for your glory and for your sake. Amen. going to conclude by singing together now in Psalm 122, Psalm 122, we'll sing from verse 6 to, to 9 to the end of the psalm.
Play that Jerusalem may have peace and felicity. Let them that love thee and thy peace have still prosperity. Therefore I wish that peace may still within your walls remain. And ever may your palaces prosperity retain. We'll sing these verses 6 to 9 to God's praise. Praise Son and Holy Spirit, rest upon and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.